0: Sports talk, talk new, york new york with your, your host, hosts mark, mark rosenman Rosen and, and aj carter sports talk new york is sponsored in part by prince associates for all your insurance needs the phoenix tube company the law firm of Declator cohen and DePrisco, solomon jewelers and general needs charity serving our homeless veterans with dignity and now here are your hosts mark and aj
1: well welcome back to sports talk new york i am aj carter we're here with ryan sherman Mark Roseman is uh, on assignment uh, in the desert of Morocco. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: uh, we will hear, maybe we'll hear back from next week. Maybe, maybe we'll some a report. cricket. I, I think M- maybe we'll get a report soccer. from Mark. Some, <laughs> something like that. But, uh, you know, Mark, we hope you're having a good time there. We're having a good time here. And we'll have a better time after this uh, conversation. Because our first guest tonight is Matthew Silverman. And he's no stranger to Sports Talk New York listeners. Matt has been a professional writer and editor for over 20 years. He's authored, co-authored, and edited numerous publications pertaining to baseball, football, and sports in general. He's been a lifelong fan of Major League Baseball, the New York Mets in particular, which allows him to convey a genuine perspective of an avid fan while maintaining author objectivity. Matt has written eight books books about the Mets, including Mets Essential, Everything You Need to Know to Be a Real Fan, Meet the Mets 2008, An Annual Guide to New York Mets Baseball, Mets by the Numbers, a Complete Team History of the Amazing Mets by Uniform Number, 100 Things Mets Fans Need to Know and Do Before They Die, and Shea Goodbye, The Untold Story of the Historic 2008 Season. You can call Matt's latest book either an outgrowth of that book or a companion, looking at Shea's entire 45-year history. It's called Shea Stadium Remembered, and that's what we'll be speaking about with him tonight. So welcome, Matt. Uh,
2: thanks. Uh, it's hard to, I don't know if we can live up to all that uh, introduction.
1: So, well, it's kind of a lot of, a of tradition time. here on it's Sports our Talk New yeah, York. Yes. Yeah. That, that, thats Mark loves long term. Absolutely. So, so <laughs> let's start our conversation, which is actually the first sentence of your book. Why a book on Shea Stadium?
2: Um, well, yeah, that, you know, I figured uh, that that was the—I wouldn't to the elephant in the, the elephant in the stadium, but it was like, you know, I I, I gave I tried to give it a little thought and. Um, you know, because when Shane was around, it was just sort of that place that was over there, and it didn't seem like it was anything that special. Um, but, you know, kind of like uh, someone, uh, you know, maybe a person that people took for granted, when they're gone, that, that there's a, you know, it's been 10 years, and there's um, a little nostalgia that goes along with it. Um, you know, the teams had, out of those 10 years, they've had two good years, maybe. And, um you know, one almost really good year, or I guess one really good year that was almost perfect. Um, but, uh, you know, people miss Shea. Uh, and, and I know there really is nothing to say other than That You know, there's a nostalgia yeah. about someplace that's gone, and that it means a lot to people. Uh, you know, um, one of the things I said was um, that, you know, you can't necessarily identify with where I grew up or where you grew up or whatever, and now, you know, someone else is living in there has been torn down or, or whatever. Um, but we can all identify with a place that we went to many, many times and even had a lot of different experiences, even though we're in the same place, but the same kind of shared experience.
1: You know, you, you, you mentioned this in the book. You said it was a dump, but it's our dump. And I think that that's, that's the feeling about it. If you look at what a stadium is now, it's very different. But a point you make in the book is back then it was very much state-of-the-art.
2: Yes, and plus it was, uh, it, like, to have it uh, something that could be used for multiple uh, events was essential. They wouldn't have built it if it just was going to be for baseball. That would have seemed a complete waste of money um, at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, New York was also had a, had a football team, and the Jets— Sort of just ended up being a part of it because it really was all about baseball. But um, Shea Stadium really made uh, the Jets, and in you know in, in that regard, also helped make the AFL, um, uh, giving them a little more ammo in their um, uh, the battle with the NFL. That eventually led to the uh, the merger of the two leagues, and the Jet, you know the Shea, she, when Shea came in, the Jets went from drawing five, six, ten thousand people at the Polo Grounds on a good day to drawing fifty five thousand, and were the number one team for the, like the last five years of the AFL, um, you know, and they had the and it sounds strange, but they had like the newest stadium in the AFL too.
1: Well, you know, if you remember when it was built, it was built supposedly for all sports and the. Field boxes were supposed to be able to rotate around to close in the bowl for football. I think they yeah. did that a couple of years, and they finally gave that up. They just changed the, the way the field was configured. And you, you, we'll, talk, we'll talk about your games there. I remember I went, I went to one Jet game. We'll get back to the Mets in a second. Uh, at Shea Stadium, and I remember this vividly, and I, I looked it up today. It was 1983, and the Jets were playing the Atlanta Falcons, and it was pouring rain. And I remember this, I was working Sunday through Thursday night. So I had to go into work after the game. And mm. I'm watching the game and getting wet, and the Jets take a 21 0 lead. And I look at my watch, I look at my watch, and am getting, wet, I'm going to have to leave to get to work. And then I say, OK, it's 21 0. Then Billy White Shoes Johnson got involved. And I think he ran a punt back for a touchdown. By the time we got to the car, I think it was like 21 14. And the Jets <laughs> ended up losing the game. Oh, no. I remember listening in the car on the way to work. They lost the game. That's my memory of football at Shea Stadium. So Not the best. In, in the book, you say you went to Shea Stadium about 300 times. And the first two uh, times, they weren't Met games. They were Yankee games.
2: Yes. Yes, so, we, okay. uh, we got um, tickets uh, through a family friend um, for Old-Timer's Day for a Yankee Stadium. And uh, we went there. Um, for the um, uh, Yankees uh, against Cleveland, and it was uh, Frank Robinson who just passed. He was uh, that was his first year managing the Indians as well, and uh, that was a big deal. I didn't uh, didn't know that much about baseball at the time. I was just really learning, and um, you know, I, at the time I, I it was so naive. I'm like, oh, you can't you just wipe like the Mets and the Yankees? They're both playing the same stadium, and that didn't last too long either. But um, you know it went there, and it was it was a huge day for the um, you know just in general it had a little history to it billy martin was hired without anybody really knowing it until he was announced for Old timers day you know they had the joe dimaggio they brought out and all the um, and they had the dodgers and the giants there and um, all this stuff but you know to be honest when i went a couple weeks later and the mets played the giants in a in a you know a saturday afternoon game after double header with all the scrubs in you know th- that really resonated. Was the other one was was nice and it was fun and it was great looking at those all red Cleveland Indian uniforms. But um, uh, you know the, the Mets game was what resonated with me. And, and uh, uh, but I was glad to say that I did go to a Mets Yankees game, or a Yankees game at uh, at Shea, as, and especially for my first one.
1: You know, you you also make a point in the book, wait, a real time gone by about doubleheaders. That doubleheaders, which they had a lot of in the Mets' early years, with the Polo Grounds, early at Shea, was a great way to convince you know fathers to take their kids to games. That hey, you know, you get two for the price of one, and if you, as you said, if it was uh, a promotion day, they also get the souvenir for the same price of the ticket. So how much? Do yeah. You, exactly. So how how much um, do you go? i how much do you think people you know are missing things now because they don't have double headers.
2: You know, it's 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 funny because uh, it's changed. Um, I, I For the last year at Shea, I, I ended up, um, was upstate and was coming down, and I didn't realize the game had been rained out, and they were having a doubleheader. And as you pull in the parking lot, I say to my friend, I'm like, hey, it's a doubleheader. He just gives me this look, like, it's a doubleheader. You said you'd drive me home. And we ended up <laughs> not talking for a long time because I'm like, I got a, I've got, like, a couple books out. I've got a, a website called metsilverman.com, and this could be the last double-header at Chase Stadium. I have to stay for both games. And and so he took the train home, and I, you know, I, I, and it was so empty for the second game of double-header that I caught the only foul ball I ever caught at Chase Stadium. <laughs> um, but it was just so different because when I was uh, growing up, you know, there was like, it was a big, you know, banner day. We uh, never, never went on the field, but I went to several of those. That was, you know, that that wasn't even a giveaway. You weren't getting anything for that, but that was always one of the big days, and it was it was great. You, you, you convince someone to spend five hours at a, at a you know game because that's really how long. they they start at one, and you'd be you know leaving at six if you stayed for both games, and you know doubleheader now is just. You better just tie. Yeah, and it, <laughs> even it, if you know, even if it's a what they would call a straight doubleheader, um, a you're still going to be seven hours.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it's interesting now because you know we we are you know baseball fans, we live for it, but. There are people who they can't even get to watch one game. Now you're trying to get them to watch <laughs> two. They're changing all the rules. There's right. going to be a pitch clock. I don't know how long-lived the doubleheaders well, yeah, are, I love have, it. One
1: of the things they have talked about is making, like they do in the minor leagues, instead of two nine-inning games, making a doubleheader two seven-inning games, which would change a lot of the dynamics, too. A lot. Too, that's, a lot You, know, yeah. you know, Matt, you say in the book you went to Shea Stadium about 300 times. and your mm-hmm. first two times, they weren't met games. So we said they were Yankee games. And you went to every playoff game from 1988 on although 1986, you missed two games. And I'm assuming <laughs> yeah. they they were the, the Dykstra home run game and the Buckner ball game. What happened?
2: No, well, I went. I saw the the Dykstra home run game. That was actually the first uh, playoff game I ever saw. At, period. Uh, well, I, I I did go to Yankees <laughs> World Series game once, but that that was almost like uh, going to a museum. And um, but, uh, but but I, that was the first game I went to. Still, probably I, I still would say that was the best game I saw. But, um, you know, I went to school down in Virginia and at the time I was in college and, you know, I came up for the playoffs and then I come up again for the World Series and my dad's like, okay, you know, you're supposed to be, you know, going to school and all this and, you know, it's like you can come up for the World Series because he did have a little sympathy for me because, you know, I dragged him to all those games and you know how much it meant to me. So he's like, you can come up for, you know, games one and two or games six and seven. And, of course, being an arrogant Mets fan from 1986, is game one and two because it's going to be a sweep. And, uh, you know, those are two of the worst World Series games I've ever seen. And, um, you know, game six and seven were great watching on TV. Uh, and, and, you know, um, I actually for a while held some angst because it wasn't there in the flesh. But, you know, as time's gone on and you're like, I just want the Mets to win one more World Series while I'm alive, that, uh, you know, I'm just happy that they, <laughs> they were able to pull that out. So on a recent
1: blog, you note know, that people give their memorable games names. So, can you share some of these with our audience and tell us which was your favorite?
2: Um. Well, like you said, the Lenny Dykstra game. There was also Friend the. the show. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Grand Slam single game. Uh, I was I was lucky to be at that game as well. The Todd Pratt game. Um, Let's see. So some of the other ones, you know, there's like, and then there's the you know historic ones that I was not around for, but the you know the imperfect game, right? Uh, the black cat game, the ball on the wall game in 1973 that really turned around the um, divisional race, and um, let's see, and you know some other kooky ones. You could, you know, I guess you would need the the Bobby Valentine mustache game, you know, and, and some other. uh Uh, You know, the kooky kooky ones as well. You know, the 25-inning game. uh, They had the 23-inning game. You know, they had a lot of, you know, for a place that um, uh, wasn't thought of as some grand, uh, you know, was considered more of an upright piano than a grand um, Steinway or something like that. It it definitely had a lot of interesting uh, nights there. So, do you have days. a
1: favorite game that you went to or a favorite name game of all of them?
2: um you know I did this book swing in seventy three and i I really dug deep it, even though i don't you know didn't uh, realize it at the time actually i was it was it took place the same night as the uh, Billie billy jean king bobby Riggs uh you know, fabled uh tennis match at the astrodome and uh at the time I was watching that, I didn't even realize you know that match's really a really thing. Um, but I dug, dug deep into it afterwards and that's, that's my favorite, I, I think, after the fact game just because there were so many weird things. And for those people who don't, uh, aren't that familiar with it, um, there's a ball that hit the top of the wall and instead of bouncing over, which physics should have. And I even talked to Pete Flynn about it, the, the Mets groundkeeper since passed on. And he, you know, he's like, there's a little thing He's like the, it's uh, he he didn't understand how it could hit that and go the other way, but it did. They threw out the guy at the plate. I got to you know I, I um uh t- talk to Wayne Garrett who to handle the relay and uh, Ron Hodges who put the tag on um, on Richie Zisk and that really turned the the whole thing around. That's probably one that now isn't as well known, but it was just great, crazy um, Met kind of. Uh, that kind of moment, and the favorite one that I went to, you know, I, I already talked about the Lenny Dykstra home run, which was amazing because it was, you know, also the first Mets uh, playoff game I saw. Um, and growing up, I wasn't sure I was ever going to see one the way that they were. <laughs> and um, uh, but also the grand slam single game was uh, was pretty, pretty uh, remarkable as well.
1: So you do a lot to trace the history, and obviously you weren't there. You want to talk a little bit how Shea Stadium came to be, and talk a little bit how you researched the book, because you mentioned some interviews you did also.
2: Yes, I talked to um, you know a few. Actually, one of the one one of the favorite ones I did here, and Howie Rose has helped me with the last few books I've done as well. Just you know, giving me some of his time, and I had him go over a um, uh, like what a day was for him growing up, going to the game, and he like had it figured out down to the penny because they're like $2 to, to go to the game and, you know, to tell me a lot of things that meant stuff for him. That was, that was great. But I was, you know, from the fan experience, but, um, you know, of looking up, you know, actually while I was uh, doing this, I found some uh, documents online from, uh, from the time, were like uh, what you would call, you know, uh, it, it That that traced the history of the place all the way back to the ice age that it was formed, um, you know, from the the glaciers melting and the the sediment that was created there, and then, uh, you know, thousands of years later, they decided to they were going to put it as a uh, a deep water port, uh, which they were going to do for um, uh, in the teens. Uh, But they what they did was um, when World War One came around, they didn't. Uh, all the money went to something else. And then they just kept filling in the, the land there uh, with, with ashes from New York City and uh, the, um, the Great Gatsby. There's, a, there's a, you know, a couple of sentences about that, that area, which became uh, Shea Stadium that uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald used to drive by on the, uh, by on the uh, um, elevated train uh, out to Great Neck all the time.
1: So we've been talking a lot about Shea Stadium as a sports venue. As the uh, Mets, as the Jets. But when some people think of Shea, they don't think of baseball. They think of concerts, beginning with the Beatles. So mm-hmm. what can you share with us about the Beatles concert concert, and why Shea became known as a memorable concert venue going all the way to the end with Billy Joel's Farewell Shea concert?
2: It, it, you know, it was, um, it was interesting because it was one of the first concerts. I wouldn't say it was the first because... On that tour, the Beatles played at a few other baseball stadiums, but this was the one. Those were almost accidental. Like they played at Charlie Finley, just threw a bunch of money at them, and they played in uh, Kansas City's uh, old stadium a few days before. But um, Shea was the one that uh, they set up. You know, the Beatles were the biggest thing, and they were, like, growing exponentially every day. Uh, they had them on the field. Um, it was... I don't know how people could see them, and, and they couldn't he, hear them you know, because the people were screaming so loud. The Beatles couldn't hear themselves play. They only played for half an hour, but it's still, um, you know, 50-odd years later, it still is probably one of the most famous concerts uh, ever. And uh, they came back a year later and again played for about half an hour, and, um, and then we're, we're out of there, and the, the second time they played, um, they didn't tell anybody at the time, but the, it was one of the last concerts they ever had. And, uh, they had uh, about three concerts later. They played at Candlestick Park in San Francisco, and uh, they never played again, except for um, uh, you know, the, the, the thing they, they captured for "Let It Be" on the studio of Apple, uh, the roof of Apple Studios a few years later. And uh, and and so because of that, all these these people that grew up worshiping the Beatles um and a lot of them being musicians that playing in shea stadium was it was a huge a huge thing and especially for um you know british people who have don't know what baseball is and it doesn't, or football for that matter uh that it was a destination they knew what shea stadium was even if they didn't know what baseball or football was or you know that what where long island was but they knew where shea stadium was and um you know they had a few. Uh, you know, like when the Who supposedly was playing their last um, uh, farewell tour. I already bought tickets for them to play at Fenway. <laughs> this is for almost forty years later, um, so that didn't really stick. But the um, uh, the police played there, and Sting said that the, the um, that actually something similar to what John Lennon said that that he sort of saw the. They, they weren't going to get any bigger than this. And uh, then the, the police broke up not that long thereafter, and uh, John Lennon said he'd seen the mount, top of the mountaintop um, when he was playing in Shea. And I think a lot of groups, that it, it meant a lot to them. But they didn't really have that many concerts there um, over the years compared to, say, like Giant Stadium um, or some other you know, uh, venues of that size. But most of the concerts seemed pretty memorable. Um, you know, even some of the, the ones that were kind of strange, you know, Jethro Tull or Grand Funk Railroad or something, had some interesting moments, too. And, and you know, they had uh, Bruce Springsteen, the Rolling Stones, um, you know, and the Billy Joel being the last one, and uh, um, uh, Paul McCartney coming out and playing uh, the final song with him as well. I, I was uh, fortunate to be at that concert as well. If you're just tuning
1: in, we're speaking with Matt Silverman, who is the author of a great book on the history of Shea Stadium called Shea Stadium Remembered. Ryan, you have a question?
0: Yeah, so as such a big Beatles fan myself, I only get to hear about this stuff and and watch YouTube videos. But it gets kind of lost in the fact that maybe it was not such a great experience for the band. They only played three more shows after their last one, but he mentions in the book that he saw the top of the mountaintop. So was there any more that the Beatles had let, you know, known that it was a positive experience for them?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, they, they didn't like the, the, you know, the concept of like playing and, not being able to hear themselves and, you know, getting chased around and all that, you know, was really happening. And they just wanted to, you know, play music and, you know, chill out, I guess, as opposed to, you know, running all around. And they were making so much money that I think that that unlike other groups then or now, they could just say, you know, we're just going to do it the way we want to do it. And um I think Shea Stadium, you know, if it wasn't for that – People might not even remember the Beatles, you know, uh, playing a lot of concerts because they didn't really play that many uh, in in America. I remember you know, in Sullivan England and Germany yes. and all, they they, they 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 played a lot more shows. But in America, you know, Shea Stadium is the you know the thing that the, that people remember. Um, was about uh, forty five years ago. Just just ask yourself years though, if
1: if what they get for tickets today for concerts, if the star <laughs> yeah. came out and played for only a half hour. And then left. People would start booing and asking for their money back. But in nineteen sixty four they could get away
0: with that. And you had listed here the top ticket was five seventy five. You can't get a bag of peanuts for five seventy five <laughs> no. at any of these stadiums anymore. Maybe maybe Mercedes no. Benz in Atlanta, but I don't know.
2: Yeah. So and they did um, they did jam a lot of uh, warm up bands in there as well to so, you know, like a prize fight, you know, that could last five minutes. They had a lot of undercard um, and groups coming coming out there as well just to, to make sure everything was there. And plus, it wasn't until the 80s that they actually had the, the people come on the field for uh, the concert. So they, they were playing on, like, at second base, and people were really far away from them. Even in, you know, seats, the seats yeah. that are right at the dugout, you were still pretty, you know, a good, yeah. you know, a couple hundred feet away.
1: And they didn't have, of course, the video screens either. So as the years no. wore on, Shea Stadium also played a role in the battle between feuding co-owners Nelson Doubleday and Fred Wilpont. They had different ideas about a new stadium, including you know where it would be or whether it was even needed. So how did that disagreement end up with city field being built?
2: well the you know the the Wilpon sort of won the war um, with that and you know they're they're developers uh, that's what they do and uh, um, uh, they ended up it was not easy though because they they needed. You know New York, New York's blessing on it in order to you know to make that happen and and all the bonding issues and everything that's required for um, a new stadium. Even if you're you know even if you're paying for a lot of it with private money, you still need need the city's blessing. And they were actually ready to go around 2001 with the you know with two new stadiums, but you know 9/11 happened and Rudy Giuliani actually. Did try and put together something for both Yankee and Shea Stadium's replacements that was just thrown out um, by, by Bloomberg. And then a few years later, they got it, you know, rolling again. But, um, you know, they, uh, for, for the Wilpons, they very much wanted uh, a new stadium. A Nelson Doubleday thought Shea could be, you know, re, um, redone which, um, you know, I think would have been great, but, you know, you look at the other stadiums that were built then, the only one that's as old as Shea, more or less, that's still standing is, um, it, you know, in it's, in its mostly its original form is Dodger Stadium. Even, you know, Anaheim's been rebuilt a couple of times, and Oakland, got, you know, who knows what they're, they're going to end up doing with that place. So
1: if you look back at Shea and sum things up, what do you think its epitaph is?
2: Hmm. Um, a lot of fun, not great food, um, you know, and uh, maybe not the winningest team, but certainly interesting. They, uh, Shea, I, I think, kept things interesting, and I think, you know, when 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 I think of Shea, I'm going think of the Mets. I I think of Shea, maybe just because I'm I'm older than you know. There's there's at this point there's a lot of people that go to a Mets game that never even were you know saw, saw Shea. Or, much less, or, you know, saw a game there. And that'll, you know, keep going as, as time goes on. But I think that, um, you know, Shea, uh, better than you think it was. <laughs> Maybe that's, uh, that's one yeah. sense of And I think with nostalgia thrown in there, um, you know, when Shea closed, I did a book with Keith Hernandez on Shea uh, Shay Goodbye. And. You know, he, he, I talked to him about it a lot, and he didn't really think that much about it other than events until it was the day it was going down, and he, he actually got a little sentimental. And I, I rewatched all of the, the the closing ceremony as well, and Gary Cohn, who didn't have a lot of, you know, had been to a lot of events there, he actually got a little uh, choked up about it as well. So, you know, it's... Um, uh, Better people than I have, uh, you know, still have uh, feelings about it. And I see on the message boards and uh, on blogs and uh, Facebook and stuff like that that um, people are always saying, "I miss Shea." And um, you know, I always say, "I do too." And here's a way, <laughs> here's here's a way you can remember it. Um, it even says uh, "Shea and Remember" in the title. So, um, you know, I hope people uh, like it, and, and Mets fans do. And I try to keep it you know, um, uh, talk about the team a lot, too, because that's what I thought people mostly remember is the team that played there and the seasons that they had and the the great games, as well as, you know, some of the other fun stuff that was there. But really, people went there, not for the architecture, but just like people go to games now, they went to see uh, see what was happening on the field.
1: So, Matt, what's next in your series of Met books? And uh, can tell our listeners where they can catch up with you and buy the book?
2: Uh, I'm going to be uh, at, the, at the New York Public Library on the 18th of March at uh, 6 p.m. I'm doing uh, something with Brian Wright, um, author of uh, Mets in Tens, um, and we also did something of the Queens Baseball um, Convention together. And um, you can get this book anywhere um, that where where you buy books, as they say, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and I always say ask your local booksh- bookstore to. Um, to stock it or order one for you. Okay, that's uh, um, yeah, great.
1: Okay, we look forward to having you back on again when your next book comes out. Uh, this is yes, uh, we're still
2: working on figuring out what the next thing is, but um, you know, uh, but it'll be it'll be something that happened a while ago. But uh, I, I don't know if there's any Met stuff left to, to to do. But we're always you know trying to think of of ways to uh, share you know. My appreciation for it with other people that I, um, you know, that's part of Nets Nation or whatever you want to call it. Maybe
0: the Mets will do something, uh, you know, that inspires that right. kind of inspiration. Right. That would be nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank, thank
2: that would you help very sell much. more books than any any number of yeah. Uh, yeah. of, of uh, spots.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much, Matt Silverman, author of Shea Stadium Remembered.